0: Good morning everyone. Good to see you this morning. Glad to be back with you again after being out of town for a few weeks with some brethren out in Indianapolis and beautiful South Carolina and certainly enjoyed my time there. but it's nothing like being home with the people I love the most and that's the people here and I'm so glad to see you today. We got a lot to talk about today in a relatively short amount of time, so let's dive into this. For those of you who may be visiting today, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. We have so far covered a big chunk of it, but we're going to continue making our way through it, and we are covering mainly today the last section of Matthew chapter 5. So go ahead and go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 in your lesson book. That is going to be lesson number 11. Lesson 11 in your book, Matthew chapter 5 in your Bible. We're going to be mainly getting those things today, but before we do that, let's bow our heads and let's have a word of prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are so thankful, Father, for this privilege you've given us today to open up the scriptures, to open up your word, and to learn, Father, more about discipleship To learn more about how to develop and maintain a heart that pleases you. Bless this study. Father, we're thinking about our young people in their Bible classes, all the Bible class teachers. Father, we pray that as your word is taught during this time, during this hour, particularly to young hearts, that you'll be glorified and that your word will take a firm root in the hearts of those who are hearing it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, we'll start with verse number 38. Matthew 5, 38. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and two for two. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone who wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forced you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven, for he causes his son rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you, only, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore you ought to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now I'm going to ask some questions for the next couple of minutes. I don't want you to answer these out loud. I don't want to hear any answers out loud. I want you just to think about this. The first question is this. Are you perfect? Are you perfect? I hope you're thinking to yourself, no. No, I'm not perfect. And you're right about that. You're not perfect. And you will never be perfect. You know, we are with sinners. Jesus didn't die for perfect people. He died for imperfect people. And so we're sinners. We're people who've all violated and transgressed the will of God. We are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And yet, in verse 48, Jesus says he's called us to be perfect. And what do we do about that? We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. But Jesus says he calls us to be perfect. In fact, he goes even deeper in that. He says he calls us to be perfect like the Father. Like God is perfect. We want to know what does that mean. What does it mean to be perfect like God? What does it mean to be perfect like the Heavenly Father? How do we do that practically in our everyday lives? In this class, we're going to try to find some answers to that question. But before we do that, since I've been out of town for a few days, i got to make sure that I'm on the same page with you in this sermon. And so let's go back and let's just kind of rehearse just a little bit where we are in this sermon. In this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, going back to Matthew 5, going back up to about verse 20, in this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, we're really being challenged by Jesus. We're really getting a good taste or some good teaching of just how different disciples are to be when compared to the rest of the world. Do you see that? That's what's going on here. Jesus is showing us how different we're supposed to be when compared to the rest of the world. He's especially showing us how different we are to be when compared to the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 20, the key verse, and we can't emphasize enough. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You want to go to heaven, don't you? You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't want to go to heaven. There's a lot of the things you could be doing at 9.55 on a Sunday morning. But you want to go to heaven. And Jesus says, if you want to go to heaven, if I want to go to heaven, then we got to do better than the scribes and the Pharisees. Our righteousness must exceed their righteousness. And so Jesus doesn't just tell us that, but he shows us exactly how that looks. How does a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees look. Well, in verses 21 through 26, we see looks like not just avoiding murder, and every person knows that murder is wrong, every culture on the face of the planet knows that murder is wrong, but it just look like avoiding murder. A righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees also looks like avoiding anger. Avoiding being angry with someone avoiding hatred slander bitterness and seeking to reconcile quickly even if you're the innocent party and that's challenging isn't it it's not challenging to avoid murder that's easy most people are or or have no problem avoiding murder but it's harder to avoid getting angry with somebody and slander and bitterness and seeking to make the first move And reconcile with somebody even if you're the innocent person and that's hard that's hard that's what Jesus talking about righteousness that exceeds their righteousness looks like not just avoiding murder but also anger it also looks like not just avoiding the physical act of adultery but also looking upon another with lust verse 28 Jesus said you look upon someone with lust you've committed adultery in your heart and if he says if you want to avoid that and really if you want to avoid any kind of sin then you need to make some cuts you need to cut some things out of your life whatever is hindering you when it comes to this particular sin or any sin make the sacrifice that is necessary to get it out of your life whether it's your computer whether it's if it's a magazine subscription, uh Netflix, HBO Max, whatever it is, you gotta get rid of. To get this out of your life, you need to do it because hell is hot. And you don't wanna go to hell. You don't wanna go to hell. You don't wanna be in hell suffering forever, thinking to yourself, well, I wouldn't be here right now if I had to sacrifice. Getting this sin out of my life, getting the source of sin out of my life so I could be with God. That's what Jesus is talking about in 28 and 29. Making amputations, cutting things out of your life that may need to go. That's what righteousness that exceeds their righteousness looks like. And it doesn't just look like that. It doesn't just look like, you know, avoiding lust and adultery of the heart, but it also looks like being faithful to your spouse. Remember, we looked at that. That's verses 31 and 32. And there, Jesus says that the righteousness that exceeds their righteousness is a righteousness that says, I'm going to be committed. I'm not going to look for ways out of this marriage. I'm not going to look for loopholes out of the marriage. I'm going to treat my marriage in the way God originally intended it to be treated, and that is as a what? A permanent relationship. That's how I'm going to treat my marriage. I'm going to do it God's way. (laughs) It also looks like, and this kind of goes with that, verses 33 through 37 Matthew five. of Matthew 5, 33 through 37 keeping your word. Keeping your word. Let your word be your bond. Keeping your promises. That includes marriage promises, that includes, includes promises made to creditors, keeping your vows. Not trying to find loopholes to get around doing things that you promised others that you would do. That's what the scribes and Pharisees were doing, right? And then this last section here, this last section we looked at, retaliation. A righteousness that exceeds their righteousness avoids revenge. Retaliation. Retaliation and trying to hold on to personal rights. And that's what we live in a culture where our personal rights seem to be about everything. But Jesus says you might have to give up some of your rights if you're going to follow him. This kind of righteousness he's talking about is one that turns the other cheek. It settles matters fast. Even if it means you got to sacrifice something and you're innocent. Going the extra mile. Helping someone who may have done you wrong. That's what the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees looks like. Do you see it? It's a lot of things there. And you know how you can summarize all this? You can summarize this by saying that this kind of righteousness is a righteousness that will lead you to a life of integrity. This is about living a life of integrity. This is about living a life where you show love for God and you show love for your neighbor. This is a life that is counter-culture. If you live this kind of life Jesus is talking about, you're going to be different than everybody else. You're going to be different than the people in your job, in your school, in your community. You are going to be different from your society. In fact, probably the most radical demonstration of what the Lord is talking about here is found in these next verses here, verses 43 through 48. So we want to dive into that. Verse number 43 says, You have heard. And I want you to go to your workbook here and get ready for question one here. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Question. Question. Where did this saying originate? You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Is this, is this found anywhere in the law of God? Can somebody tell me, raise your hand, and let us know what you got there. Is this statement here, you have heard it was we'll say, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Is that found in the law of God, the law given through Moses and Mount Sinai? Somebody give, give us an answer here. Somebody, how many say to raise your hand you say no? How many raise your hand you say yes? Both of you are right. <laughs> You're both yes right. No. It's a yes and a no. Yes and no. It's a yes and a no, right now? Yes. Go ahead, Ryan. Yes, sir. Closest I can find is Leviticus 19. 19? Let's go there in our Bibles, Ryan. Let's and go verse here. 17. Can you read 17 and 18? Yeah. Uh, In fact, now Ryan said. I'll try. I don't have my glasses. Well, I'll do it for you, Ryan. I don't want you to pay. I might miss. No, I forgot you old, so I'm joking. I'm getting there. I'm getting there there with you. All
1: right, Leviticus
0: 19. Here's the answer to the question. That statement there is yes and no. Part of that is found in the law. You know which part? The first part is. The first part. It's found in the law. Leviticus 19, what Ryan said. Let's read uh, 17 and 18, because I got that marked too, Ryan, right, in my Bible. You shall not hate, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. Verse 18, you shall not take revenge. Doesn't that remind you of something? That mind, you of Rick's lesson, doesn't it? And then it, Rick? You should not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. I am the Lord. Mm -hmm. I want you to put another scripture with that. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10. That's Moses recounts some of the principles of the law before the children of Israel finally go into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 19, because this is interesting too, to kind of go with this. Where Moses said, "You shall love, you shall." I'm sorry, show your love for the alien. Now that's something interesting, even for the alien. For you were aliens mm-hmm. in the land of Egypt, mm-hmm. so you can show love not just to a fellow Jew. So Deuteronomy ten, what? 19, De- ten, ten, nineteen. Deuteronomy ten, nineteen. Deut- ten, verse nineteen. Yes, even show land for the alien. I mean that that's something that that's even a relative passage for the kind of culture we're living in today so this idea going back to matthew 5 now and I'll give you a chance to make some comments on this the first part of this is found in the law the law taught Israel to love your neighbor to even love the alien alright to love the alien that would be equivalent to us saying love the immigrant (laughs) Love the immigrant. we we got to love everybody. The first part is in the law. The second part is not. It is not in the law. It's not in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It is not anywhere. Where did that come from? The second part. There you go. Go ahead, go ahead, Don. Go ahead, sir. If you go over to, uh...
1: oh, come on now, Malachi. 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 Last
0: chapter book of one, the old testament? Verse two and three. What chapter was that, sir? Chapter one. Chapter one. Verse two and three. Would you want to go ahead, you mind reading that down for us?
1: I have loved you, says the Lord, but I say, how have but you say, How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother? declares the Lord. Yet, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And so when we look at, at this and, and the way... I, I get the rabbis mixed up. But one of them who is looking at things literally, saying, if this is God, and we're supposed to be like God, then I hate my enemy.
0: That's excellent observation. In fact, there... <laughs> that is how some of them looked at it. And there... When you understand what God is doing, the idea there, he's talking about his choices. Yes. He bypassed the older brother for the younger brother, yes. which was not done in Jewish culture. Right. But God chose Jacob to, for the blessing of the Messiah to come through Jacob, not Esau. It didn't mean God hated him. Like, oh, we'll no, die and go to hell. But but he wasn't chosen right. for the promises of Abraham to continue through. That's the idea there. The, That's a great point, though, The, the rabbis
1: that took yes. the literal view. Yes. Rather than the spiritual view, yes. nailed it.
0: That's it. I want to. We're going to add on to that. That's great. Go ahead, Brother Rick. Yes, sir. I was going to say. I think this this idea
1: of the hateful spirit was something that was indoctrinated in people, even in the Old Testament times. I found this in the 139th Psalm, and I'll just read these few
0: verses. It says One, Psalm 139. You 139. say 139. Psalm 139. Oh that
1: you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count
0: them my enemies. That idea comes from some kind of indoctrination. The idea, those are called the imprecatory psalms. The psalms where David is wishing judgment to come upon God's enemies. So let's put you and Don's comments together, because I think got, you both are on some good things there. This idea, and, and to kind of simplify this, this verse 43, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, clearly found in God's law. Hate your enemy, Not found in God's law. But by the time of Jesus, it was being promoted like it was in God's law. It was being taught by the rabbis, many of the rabbis, as though it was part of the law. And a lot of that comes from a misunderstanding of the law, right? It comes from a misunderstanding of the law. This was promoted because, and probably going with what Rick said, this probably was being promoted easily among the Jews by the rabbis because the Jews had a lot of people they hated. <laughs> they had a lot of enemies and they wanted they wanted this. I mean, they these imprecatory songs make us uncomfortable today. We really don't like talking about them, but they didn't make the Jews uncomfortable. <clears throat> they hated all kinds of people. They hated Samaritans. You talk about racism. This racism thing we're dealing with in our culture, thats this is nothing new at all. Racism is all through the Bible. It is all through the Old Testament. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and they hated them mainly because of their race, because they were half-breeds, half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And in fact, not only did they hate Samaritans, they hated Gentiles. They hated the Roman Empire. They even hated other Jews. I mean, if you didn't agree with another Jew religiously or on different things, as far as tradition goes, you could, they would, you could get some hate coming your way. So the Jews had a lot of people they hated, Samaritans, Gentiles, the Roman Empire, and they taught there was nothing wrong with hating people. There was nothing wrong with hating Romans. There's nothing wrong with hating Gentiles. There is nothing wrong with hating people, especially who didn't know God. There was nothing wrong with hating people who didn't worship God, who didn't believe in God, who worship idols, who didn't serve the one true and living God. It it, it wasn't anything wrong with hating enemies of God. That's what you read. So they taught it was nothing wrong with hating people who didn't know God, who didn't serve God, who didn't believe in God, who may have even been enemies of God. The Jews had this indoctrinated, indoctrinated in them. They had been taught that there was nothing wrong with this kind of hatred, but let's not miss the point. Jesus taught something different. (laughs) Jesus teaches something different here, is he not? This is clear. Jesus is revealing the true will of God. He's clearing up the misunderstanding. Verse 44, but I say to you, now when Jesus says I say to you here, he's not saying, okay, y'all be following the Old Testament law, and this is what the law taught, so I'm going to give you something new here. No, Jesus is clearing up their misunderstanding here. Because Jesus gave the law. One thing we have to to do is we have to divorce ourselves from this idea that the law was bad. (coughs) Bad. Like the law's bad, gospel good. No, law good, gospel good. You know why it's all good? Because it came from somebody who's all good. It came from God. God doesn't give imperfect things. God doesn't say, I'm going to give you this law, and I kind of messed up all over it, and I'll get it right next time with the gospel. No, the law did what it was supposed to do. It is God's law. And it did what it was supposed to do, that was be a schoolmaster. Jesus, if you've noticed so far, isn't really giving anything new at all here. This is all stuff that's already taught in the law. Jesus is going to clear up this misunderstanding, verse 44. I say to you, this is what the law really taught. Love your neighbor, love your enemy, I'm sorry, and pray for those who persecute you. You love your enemies, that's what the law taught. That goes back to loving the alien. That goes back to that Deuteronomy passage. And pray for those who persecute you. I want to suggest this, as we try to get real practical here. In my belief, and I've and I believed this a long time, I believe what you find in this verse may be the most difficult commandment God gives in the Bible. I really do. It is This is a difficult passage. And anybody who's ever been hurt before, Somebody, you will, I think you will agree with that. This is a difficult passage. It is not easy to love people who don't love you. So let's go back to the book here. I want to reverse this to kind of emphasize how difficult this is. Let's talk about the people that's easy to love. And I want to get real practical. I don't want generic answers here, I want specific, practical answers. Give me some people, let's just start with one answer here, that are easy to love in your life. Who are some people that are easy to love? Fellow Christians. Fellow Christians. Family members. I would have put that up there first read because sometimes they're not easy to love either. <laughs> <laughs> i to be honest with you. Sometimes they're the most difficult to love. Oh, so and if you're, if you're a preacher and you've got some Christian, why do you like this? No, you're not easy to love. You're not easy to love at all. When you see them get on Facebook and see Christians fighting over politics how I'm so Trump or I'm so Biden, you're not easy to love. You're not easy to love. So I wouldn't put that first, but it does need to be on the list, really. You're right; it needs to be on the list because uh, you are easy to love. But let's not let's talk. That's not talking about the goats in the auditorium. No, I'm joking. wife <laughs> raised <laughs> your, your hand, so that's easy to love. Yes, Is somebody else say that you have to get yes. My husband
1: and children. Are easy to
0: love. Yes. Yeah. Spouse and kids.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the first person oh, on my that's list. That's too, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Y'all heard that. I'm going to say it out loud. We're so. We're going to shoot this to her later. <laughs> I put on here, spouse, Yeah. at least most of us here. <laughs> <laughs> spouse is, is, should be easy to love. Yeah. Your kids, oh my goodness. Easy. Easy to love. Anybody in your household, you don't nobody goes home and says, oh man, I'm just gonna struggle loving these people today. No, we, we love our we, we, we love our family so much. We work for them. We, we we think about them all the time. We take trips together. We we do everything together. We love our family. Someone else, who else Yes, ma'am. Those who agree with you all the time. Oh man, I put that on here. The I even put it this way, Jane. The, the 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 people who are like you. The people who believe like you. Oh, it's easy to love those people, isn't it? If you agree with me on things, if you think like me, have the same political beliefs as I do, it, man, it's, I, it's easy to love you. It, it, it is. That's a great answer. Someone else. Yes, ma'am.
1: Grandkids.
0: Oh, spoken like a grandparent. I can speak to that. You may, Lord willing, maybe I will one day. But, but what grandparent disagrees with that? Any grandparent in here, Rick Shader is like, no, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why you go to the games, why you go to the soccer games, why you go to the, well, you know, football games. Grandparents love grandchildren. I put on here parents. Most of the time, it's not hard to love your parents, especially if they had good parents, right? Christian parents. And what about some of your friends, even some friends who are not Christians? It's not easy. To, it's not hard to, to love your friends. So you got your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends people who are like who are like you who think like you who believe like you those people are easy to love and the Jews would have taught you hey do that love those people yes Tony go ahead sir well to the
1: extent uh, you know if they uh, if they if they uh, they're like-minded co-workers you know the ones who share the same views yes. and at that
0: I do there may be some co-workers you have that you really love and like even love absolutely. Let's talk about some people who are hard to love. And these are the people who are hard to love. The people who don't like you. And I think we all have met people like that in our lives. And even coworkers too. Yes. Even and in the church. Even, yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even in the church. Sometimes some of the most unreasonable people can be people in the church, unfortunately. So what I'm saying is the coworkers could be that dumbest sort. Yes. You have yes. ones you love and ones you hate. There there's there maybe you've had a boss before who was just unfair to you, always ride you. It's not easy to love that, that man or that woman. It's not easy to love people who hurt you. You know, somebody who hurt you, who's hurt you deeply, who scarred you. Maybe they gossiped about you, destroyed your name, unjustly, insulted you, called you a name, slandered you. You know, (laughs) this goes back to this idea in the church, you know, even in the church, you ever had somebody gossip about you in the church? I have (laughs) Insult you. I've been called the N word by people in the church before. Really? Yes. These are people in the church. Um, And uh, so that's hard to let that go, isn't it? It's hard to let go insults. It's hard to let go when people talk about your spouse. Um, slander you. And so some people, and I think we're seeing this, it is hard for them to love people who just believe different than them, have different political beliefs. If you don't believe like me politically, then I don't want anything to do with you. You're just weird. Maybe you come from a different kind of state, <laughs> a blue state instead of a red state. We live in a, in a culture now where Jesus' teachings really hitting home, where so many people. Are quick to love the people they want to love, and they want to hate the people they don't want to hate. Maybe I don't like you because you don't speak English, or you come from this country. I think we. I think when we get really practical and deep on this, we see that this teaching is more relevant than we than we realize. Do you understand that? What I'm saying? Go ahead, Tony. Real quick. Well, I think uh, especially today, one one
1: more thing we could group we could throw in there is hard to love is. Homosexuals and transgender. Oh, that's a
0: great one. That's a great one, Tony. I might let you talk more if you're gonna get answers <laughs> like that. Yeah, no, thank you. No, that's excellent. I'm so glad. You, I can't believe I didn't even think of that. Cause I've seen that. I've seen that with some Christians where they look at homosexuals or people who are you know transgender or look a certain way, and they go, "That's just weird and freaks." And, and, and I think we gotta check ourselves on some of this. We're not seeing the soul. We're not seeing souls. We're seeing people who are different and we don't like them because they're different. Instead of saying, okay, that's a human being and I wanna try to show them love and try to help them. That is love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor could be that transgender. It's that transgender person. It's that homosexual person. It's that person who has that green hair and that pink hair and that purple hair that you think is weird. That's your neighbor. It could be your daughter. Yes, and I know you're coming from a personal place, dude. Yeah, I know you're coming from that. Yes, sir, Don.
1: There's a, there's an area that most people don't get into, but one of the best lessons I ever heard on this subject was from a Marine Corps major who was overrun just north of domain And when you look at an, an enemy force coming across and it's already wiped out about two-thirds of your people, and now you're sitting there with a 45-pointed, at one of the enemies with an AK, do I pull the trigger or not? You know, and, and we hear this all, you, you hate the action and you love the person. Mm-hmm. But when you come face to face with someone who hates you, and you've got to make a split-second decision, do I pull the trigger or not? He did not. And everything worked out Okay. But when you are in that situation and when you have been night after night after night under attack and all of a sudden it's time for the retaliatory yes. attack yes, and you're part of that and you wind up with about 2,000 to 2,500 dead before breakfast yeah. and you're part of that yeah. and that has, that has created a feeling within the individual that is awful hard to get
0: rid of. You know, I I appreciate that example done and I, and I think I think all of you can see where I'm coming from here. This, this is not it's not easy. What we're talking about. Y- yes, Ryan. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention 1st yes. Corinthians 13. I'm actually going to get there because I got it in my notes because we, we're you know, I think no, no, no. Ryan, we're we need to. I think it'd be a good place for us to close this with that because I, we, I definitely have that name because I want to go through that. But the point I'm just trying to make is when you stop and think about life and the people we encounter, this is not easy. <clears throat> this is not. We live in a very polarized society, a very divided society, and there's just so much hate in the world. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up in all that stuff. We can get caught up in, in, in the political division, the race division, and the division between people who like police officers and who don't like police officers and people who support the flag and don't support the flag and all this stuff. That that we got to be careful. And so I don't want you to answer this out loud. Just think about it to yourself. Just meditate on it just for a couple of seconds. Are you, as you evaluate your life, not someone else's, your life, are you doing these verses? Are you not just loving the people who are easy to love, but also loving the people who are not easy to love? Are you not just loving those people, but praying for them? Jesus said we got to pray for him." Now as you pray to God every day, and I hope you pray every day, what are you praying to God about? Are you always just asking him for stuff? Maybe praying for your church family, and praying for your parents and your kids. Are you also including in those prayers, God, I pray for the homosexuals. I pray that you can use me to reach them with the gospel. I'm praying for the transgenders. I pray that you can use me to help them with the gospel. I'm praying for the racist people. That you can use me to, to, to get them the gospel. Are you saying those kind of prayers? Because Jesus said we got to pray that stuff. You see that? This is, not, this is not easy. And so I think there are a couple of lessons we learned here from verses 43 and 44 that I really want to just emphasize real quick. First, verse 43 is a key verse because I think it shows us exactly what Jesus means when he keeps saying, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said is, Going to the rabbis clearly here. They taught this. They were wrong. I'm going to clear it up. I think secondly, we also see from this that the rabbis had a lot of influence. Do you see that? They had a lot of influence. They had so much influence they get away with this kind of teaching. People were saying, "Well, the rabbis taught it. It's right. It's okay to hate people. (laughs) They can't be wrong about this. They study the Bible all day. They look the part. They say the long prayers." so they are right they believed whatever these quote-unquote preachers said. they just took it at face value and do people fall into that trap today yes they do mm-hmm. whatever the preacher says he's got to be right i don't need to study it mm-hmm. or if i have studied it my interpretation got to be wrong of it even though it looks pretty clear to me but the preacher says so i'm gonna go with it that's what they were doing and that's what people do today that's we're exactly but you i think we're seeing here that the rabbis had a lot of influence and the people were being, were just listening to them and taking their teaching at at face value. So I want to say a couple more things here. We're not going to get through with with all this today. That's fine. We're we're a good uh, course here. We don't need to rush. But I do want to just say a few things about the remaining verses and then I'll give you the last few minutes. Okay, Jesus is saying, love all people. Do good to all people. To emphasize this point, in case we're missing it, in verse 45, Jesus uses God as his example. Isn't that great how he does that? He says, okay, I want you to love all people, even your enemies. And in case you're thinking it's okay to hate people that are God's enemies, let me tell you what God does to his enemies. God blesses his enemies. He blesses them every day. He's blessing them right now. You know who Bill Maher is, don't you? No. (laughs) The political commentator guy who's got a show on HBO. He's a, <laughs> a well-known atheist. A Jesus blasphemer. You know, right now he's experiencing God's blessings even though he hates God. And he's a clear enemy of God. What blessing is he getting from God right now, according to Jesus? Millions. <laughs> well, that too, but that, that could be a gift from <laughs> Satan. But uh, what is what did Jesus say in the verse? What is he getting? Sun, right? He's getting the Son. The Son shines or rises on the evil and the good. The evil there is the enemy of God. And he's not just getting the sun, but every now and then in California, what else is he getting? He's getting rain. You need rain. You need sun to live on this earth. Those are what you call blessings from God. Food. That's the point Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, if you want to know how to love right, love like God. God loves everybody even his enemies, and he blesses his enemies. He gives them sun, he gives them rain. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. The rain is on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is blessing those who love him and those who don't love him. That's what he's saying there. And then in verses 46 through 47, after telling us to be like God and seek to bless all people, he says, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. You want to be a child of God and love like God. That's what he's saying. For he calls us the, the sun, the rising, the evil, and the good, sins, the rains, the righteous, and the unrighteous. Now, verse 46, for if you love those, watch this, who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the, oh, don't say that. The Pharisees are in the audience. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Wow, what a huge shot at the Pharisees. The Pharisees are sitting there. And you're calling us tax collectors. We hate tax collectors. Remember, what did they criticize Jesus for? We had a sermon on it a few weeks ago. They criticized him for being a friend. Uh, oh, tax collectors. Tax collectors. How do they feel about tax collectors? Hate they hated them. And you have the nerve to say, well, we're teaching people and with the standard we're going by is making us tax collectors? How dare you call us a tax collector? And not only do you call us a tax collector, but in the next part, you call me a gentile. He saying if you agree only your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? If not even Gentiles are the same. You're saying I'm a Gentile. How dare you call us Gentiles? You see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is hitting them right in the face. He's saying that if you follow these guys, you're gonna be a tax collector. You're gonna be a Gentile. The Gentiles do with what they're teaching. Can you imagine how mad that must have made them? To be called tax collectors, they hate tax collectors. to be called Gentiles, they hate Gentiles. Do you understand why they want to kill him in a few years from now? They hate him. He is embarrassing them in just a tremendous way. Yes, ma'am, listen.
1: Um, I'm just thinking about how it's this, this piece especially, is also kind of a demonstration of itself, like because he loves the Pharisees. And he doesn't warm-fuzzy them. You do not have to warm-fuzzy your enemies, but you do need to act towards
0: their ultimate
1: good. Did he not die for them also? Oh,
0: yeah. Did he not pray for them on the cross? Absolutely. And told, them, and told them the truth about themselves, which wasn't warm and fuzzy. You want a great example of what Melissa's talking about Read Matthew 23? He called him hypocrites seven or eight times, and yet he still loved them. Sometimes love is tough love, mm-hmm. telling people the truth when they don't want to hear it. Uh, that, that, that's a great point. So let me just finish this real quick, because my time is running out here. The Pharisees and scribes prided themselves <coughs> on being better than tax collectors. They prided themselves on being better than Samaritans and Gentiles. And if you want an example of that, read Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18, remember the Pharisee went into the temple to pray, and he was kept saying, I'm better than who? I'm better than the tax collectors. Because I do this, I do this, I go to church, I pray, I read my Bible, blah, blah, blah. And yet, who did Jesus come in? The tax collector. So that parable gives you an example of the mentality of the Pharisees. They said we're better than these guys. And Jesus says, according to your standard, guess what you are? You're just like them. And I'm going to teach my people to go higher than that. So let's just stop right there. Any final comments? I we got about a minute or two. Any final comments? Yes, Tony, go ahead, sir.
1: Uh, I heard in a sermon once, um, I think it was one of Brian's sermons where he was talking about, like, be, being Christian parents. And he, and I think he, he said in my quote, you know, being a Christian parent is more than just nurturing,
0: disciplining, and saving for your kids' college, because even atheist parents will do all that. Yes. Yes. And oh, that's a great point. Anybody else? Yes. I was just going to say that I feel like we should, like, the whole point of this is
1: that God is trying to keep us from confusing
0: um, Satan with people and then confusing love with tolerance I want to look at confusing love with tolerance Satan with people and that even goes back to this idea of love in the center not the sin which I think is a it's a great statement. So let's build on that Allison in the next class I want to I want to go right there where you're at because we're going to pick up in verse 48 as we study from verse 48 next time, I want you to study this carefully. What does Jesus mean? He says be perfect. If you come in here and say that means we got to seek to be perfect and sinless every day, I'm going to write on your forehead with a